feed me now! I'm starving! Alive! It's alive! It's alive! By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then, hello, 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 and welcome back. This is Storytime, and I am GamerDude. Glad to have you here for some more stories from my childhood and my memory banks and the days of yore. Thanks for being here. The days of yore today conjure up some stories of the things of nightmares, the little monsters appearing. Yes, it's my annual family reunion. No, 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 no. It's Halloween time. We've got stories about Halloween today, so thanks for joining us as I tell spooky, scary stories. Actually, there wasn't anything spooky and scary about Halloween when I was a kid. It wasn't that bad a deal when I was a kid. Yes, there was monsters and there was scary stuff, but Halloween has gotten more scary, I guess is the best way to put it. As the years have gone by, when I was a kid, we got into costumes and we went trick-or-treating and it was a huge thing. Don't get me wrong. Halloween was huge for kids. Halloween was the piece de resistance of all holidays next to Christmas where you got gifts for just sitting around. Halloween, you had to go work for it, but it was a true labor of love because you loved working for the candy that you got. Our goal at Halloween time was to get as much candy as we could, and we would go all day. As long as we could go, we would be out there collecting candy. And everybody stocked up on candy, too. Every house had something. Well, almost every house. I'll tell you about that in a minute. But before we talk about that, we have to talk about the costumes. Now, the costumes were two different kinds of costumes when I was growing up. You could either go to the local drugstore and you would buy a costume. And you've probably seen these. I'll throw a link up in the description to this episode just so you can see what I'm talking about. But those old costumes were just a little thin plastic mask and a thin piece of cloth that passed for Superman's outfit or a ballerina's outfit or a cowboy's outfit. It was not a big deal and maybe it cost five bucks. I don't even remember the prices, but even for that time, five bucks was a lot. That's why the other type of costume was the homemade costume because five bucks was a lot for a costume. We would do a lot of homemade costumes at my house. It was just what we did. It was cheaper. Mom was artistic. She could sew anything. She could draw anything. So that's what we did. We created a lot of homemade costumes. I remember one year when I was very, very young, one of my first costumes was as a girl, but not a little girl. It was a big girl. My mom gave me some top of some sort. I don't know if it was a brassiere or a bathing suit. I don't remember what it was. I just remember... I didn't have any say in this. This is what I was dressed up in. They slapped a wig on my head. They strapped the top to me, threw a couple of oranges in the top to give me boobs. And I don't remember if it was a skirt or a pantsuit. I don't remember what it was. I just remember the wig and the oranges for boobs. And that was my Halloween costume when I was really, really young. I was apparently adorable, but I don't remember it, except I have this vivid memory of those damn oranges, and it haunts me to this day. That's one of the early costumes that I had. One of the first costumes that I remember actually having a say in, <laughs> because I didn't really have a say getting dressed up as a, as a little woman, I guess is the best way to put it. One of the first costumes that I had a say in 
was dressing up as a card. I thought it would be a great idea to go as a playing card. And all you needed was a couple of pieces of poster board and some shoulder straps to make it look like one of those guys who has the sandwich boards on the front and back walking up and down the street to advertise things. Remember those guys from back in the day? Long before there were sign spinners, there were guys with the sandwich boards. And they were called sandwich boards because he was in the middle of two boards that looked like a sandwich. So I talked to my mom about making a playing card costume. And I thought it would be cool to go as the ace of spades because it's the ace and you have a spade and it's easy to draw. And mom said, you can go as a playing card, but you can't go as the ace of spades. Now, I didn't know why. I guess apparently my mom was superstitious about the ace of spades on Halloween, but that was something that was verboten. I couldn't go as the ace of spades. So I went as the four of diamonds. I don't know why the four of diamonds. It was just the card that we picked. So I mostly had a say in the costume. I couldn't be the ace of spades, but at least I got to go as a playing card. And mom drew a beautiful four of diamonds and a beautiful back of the card. And then we used some fabric to create the shoulder straps. And I had the front of the card on my front, of course, and the back of the card on my back. And I went as a card. And I did that actually a couple of different years. We did recycle costumes because it was cheaper that way. But that's what we had to worry about when I was a kid. Now, one of the other costumes that I remember was one of two duo costumes, I guess is the best way to put it, because I went with a friend to go trick-or-treating, and we needed the two of us to make the costume work. One of the costumes was Laurel and Hardy. Now, for those of you too young to remember, Laurel and Hardy were a comedy duo from the early 20th century. There was Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy. Oliver Hardy was the big heavyset guy, Stan Laurel was the skinny guy, and they were very, very funny for their time. And I grew up watching them on black and white reruns on... Saturday morning TV, and they were very funny. So I, being the heavyset kid, was Oliver Hardy, and my friend next door was Stan Laurel. And my mom drew a little mustache on my face so that I would look like Oliver Hardy, and I had a little bowler that we had picked up somewhere because that's what Oliver Hardy wore. He wore a little bowler hat, and my friend dressed up as Stan Laurel, and he had his hair all standing up straight, and we were were a cute little team going out trick-or-treating together. All homemade stuff. I had an old tweed jacket. I remember the tweed jacket, too. I had an old tweed jacket that was my good jacket, but I was allowed to wear it for trick-or-treating because it was trick-or-treating. And a pair of black pants and a skinny little tie, and that's what I wore for my Oliver Hardy costume. There was also the year that I went out with my friend Vinny. You've heard me talk about Vinny. Vinny was much smaller than me, and I was much bigger than him, obviously. And we went out one year, and I don't know where we got the inspiration for this, but we went out as an organ grinder and his monkey. So once again, my mom created a little mustache on my face, drew it on my face. We had a box that we made look like one of those musical boxes that the guy would stand in the corner and crank a handle. And Vinny dressed up as a little monkey. I don't remember how he dressed up as a little monkey, but I remember we had a little leash for him and he would hop around like a monkey. For those who don't know what an organ grinder and a monkey are, years ago, there would be guys who would stand on the street corner with a box that had a handle that would crank out music. You'd turn the handle and music would play like a music box and he would have a pet monkey and the monkey would dance around and climb on people and collect coins and that was how the guy made money. So we dressed up as an organ grinder and his monkey and we made the rounds for Halloween. Now, when I say made the rounds, that's what we did. We lived in a relatively rural area, but the houses were close enough so you could walk up and down the streets. 
And you would really load up your trick-or-treat bags with lots of candy because as you walked up and down the streets, you would go down a side street and there'd be a little development there. So you would hit every house. Then you'd leave that development. You'd go down another half a mile and there'd be another development there. And you'd load up on all of the treats from the houses in that development. Then you'd exit that development and you'd go down another half a mile. There'd be another little development there and you'd walk in that street and you'd load up. And we would literally load up. We would walk for miles on Halloween because, as I said, this was kid heaven. Just knock on a door and get candy. Oh, my God, it was awesome. We loved it. So we would be out for hours. We would walk up and down the streets, in and out of the developments. We would start at 6.30, 7 o'clock, right after dinner, because dinner was always at 6, as you remember. We didn't throw off dinner just because it was Halloween. We had to have dinner. But right after dinner, and we were allowed to rush through because it was Halloween. So right after dinner, we would get our costumes on and head out. Now, of course, it's October and it's cold. And there's always, well, you're going to be cold. Make sure you put a coat on. Mom, you're going to ruin my costume. I don't want to put a coat on. It's cold out there. You have to put a coat on. So we'd wrestle with how we were going to stay warm out there. It was always an argument. Always. But when I was the playing card, it was easy to put a coat on under the card. When I was dressed up as Oliver Hardy, it was a little harder to convince my mom I didn't need a coat over my costume because the coat that I was wearing for my costume was warm enough. But it was always a battle. But then we'd leave the house between 6.30 and 7 and we'd head out. And we were allowed to stay out for as long as we could stay out. And our parents didn't go with us. We kids were on our own. We would leave the house with our friends. Now, it was the neighborhood gaggle of people together. It was four or five kids all going as a group together. And we would walk the routes that we planned all together so that we could cover all of the territory most efficiently. We didn't want to have to double back. We didn't want to have to repeat a street. We just wanted to do the giant loop, hit all of the developments down the street, work our way around, and load up on all the candy we could carry. And so that's what we did for about two and a half to three hours. We were usually done by 10 o'clock. We didn't last much longer than that, partly because it was a school night half the time, well, more than half the time, and partly because by 10 o'clock, you're tired of walking around and you can't carry anymore. The bag gets too heavy. And I do remember the bag would get really heavy because when you hit all of the houses that we hit, we were loaded up. Now, don't forget, this is also back at a time when you didn't just get candy. Some families would make something that you may not be familiar with. They would make popcorn balls. And what that was was popcorn, obviously popped, and then rolled in a caramel kind of coating and then formed into a ball and then wrapped in cellophane. And people would make homemade treats for the holidays. Sometimes you would get an apple. Sometimes you might get a Rice Krispie treat. But this is back in the day when You didn't worry that your neighbors were going to slip something into your food or put a razor blade in the apple. And it was perfectly okay to take the popcorn ball from the neighbor down the street and enjoy it. There was also the house up the street where they would invite you in. It was Charlie Chip's house. And I say Charlie Chip's because that's what the guy's job was. He was a driver for Charlie Chip's. We knew that because he brought the truck home. And for those who don't know, Charlie Chips was a relatively local brand of potato chips. They would deliver potato chip tins either to the supermarkets or to individual houses. You could get potato chips delivered to your house when I was growing up. 
and Mr. Charlie Chips was the guy who did it. So their house was about a half a mile up the street from ours. They had a long winding driveway and you could walk up to their house and knock on the door and they would always invite you in and they would always give you a little apple cider and a little cookie and a little treat for your bag. And it was perfectly okay to walk into Charlie Chip's house and have your little break from your trick-or-treating run. And I remember they were lovely people, very nice people. There was also the family that instead of treats, they gave you a copy of the New Testament every year. It was a little tiny printed copy of the New Testament, the entire New Testament in very, very fine print. The book itself was probably two inches tall and an inch wide and probably a half of an inch thick. That's how fine the print was. But they jammed the entire New Testament into this volume. And this was their way of spreading the word on Halloween. They didn't give you candy. They didn't give you coins. They gave you a copy of the New Testament. We didn't keep it. And we did eventually learn to skip that house. But I do remember, I remember the book vividly. It was a little green leather bound volume. And they gave it out every year. I also remember the one year I decided to try to steal a page from the the Charlie Brown. You've seen It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, where Lucy goes around and asks for an extra piece of candy for her brother who's waiting in the pumpkin patch for the Great Pumpkin. If you haven't seen it, go see it. That's tradition. We watch that every year. To this day, we still watch it. Mrs. Gamer Dude and I will sit on the couch and watch It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown every year because that's what you do. But one year when we were out as a group, I thought it would be funny to try that. So we went up to a house and we got our usual treats. And then I said, excuse me, could I have an extra piece of candy for my brother who's sitting at a pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin? And I remember the lady at the door gave me a very quizzical look, but reached into the bowl and gave me an extra piece of candy. Brilliant, brilliant. And it was brilliant because the whole purpose of this was to get as much candy as you could get. Because you have to remember, for me and my friends, we really didn't have the means to go to the local general store or the local quickie mart whenever we wanted to. It just wasn't possible. We didn't have the money. We didn't have the ability. We only had one store in town. And my parents didn't buy treats like that. We couldn't afford it. So Halloween was the time for us to go get as many treats as we could get. And that's why we made the rounds as big as we did. We made these huge circuitous routes to go get as much candy as we could and then bring it home and then stash it in various places in our bedrooms. And the stashing was because I had siblings and we all wanted what the other ones got. Oh, you got the Nestle Crunch Bar? I love the Nestle Crunch Bar. You want to trade? No, I like the Nestle Crunch Bar, but I like it better. How about if I give you this for that? And I discovered, much to my chagrin, that my siblings would occasionally find my candy stash, which is why I had to literally stash it throughout my bedroom, in the bottom of a drawer, in the back of the closet. I never lost a piece after I started hiding it. And I would make that stuff last till Christmas. I would have two months of treats. It was awesome. And that's why Halloween was so important, because of the treats. We didn't have them regularly, so this was like home-run territory for a kid. Load up on treats, ration them out over the course of two months, you were in heaven. Now, Halloween was awesome as a kid. But as I grew older, I became aware of the other part of Halloween. Now, around us, it was called Mischief Night. When I went to school in Ohio, I discovered it was called Goosey Night. 
And then when I was in Ohio at school, I discovered that some people called it Devil's Night. It's the night before Halloween, when you're supposed to go out and do things. I first became aware of Mischief Night, somewhere around the 7th or 8th grade, because we were all coming of age at that time, and we were getting a little old to put on the cutesy costumes. And I remember I became aware of it as we rode the bus to school on Halloween Day. There was this big tree in front of the general store in the center of town. And we would drive by that on the way to school. And on Halloween morning, I looked up one morning and saw that the tree was covered in toilet paper. I mean, covered in toilet paper. And of course, everybody on the bus was pointing, Oh my God, look what they did. Oh, it's awesome. Look at that. Oh, wow, wow, wow. And it turns out that all of the older kids from the 8th grade and from the high school, would go out on mischief night with their rolls of toilet paper and cover this tree with toilet paper. It was the tradition of the town. This tree got covered with toilet paper. Now, me being the rule follower, this was all an alien concept to me. Wait, wait. We go out and desecrate somebody's tree with toilet paper? What, what madness is this? But all the cool kids were doing it and everybody went out and did it. And so it became something, well, I should go out on mischief night then, I guess. And again, this is before parents chaperoned you everywhere. So all I had to do was essentially ask to go out. And mom and dad said, well, all right, just don't get in trouble. And that was it. My mischief night antics only lasted one year. And here's why. The year that I went out for mischief night, we decided to make it our mission to go across the street and toilet paper the new chain-link fence that the new neighbors had put in. Right across the street, and I've told you the stories about Vinny and his great big yard, Vinny's yard was right across the street, and the new neighbors had moved in just to the right of Vinny's house. Now, before they moved in, Vinny's yard and their yard were not separated by anything more than a small hedgerow of plants and a small wooden fence. And so when we would play our sports games, our tag games, whatever it was, football, baseball, whatever, we would sometimes, as kids do, cross over onto the new neighbor's property. And we'll call them the meanies because that's what they were. They were very mean. So Mr. Meanie didn't like us crossing onto his property because he liked his grass very green and his bushes untrampled and his flowers unsmushed. And we as kids didn't worry about stuff like that. So that summer, Mr. Meany put up a 200-foot-long chain-link fence from one end of his property all the way up to the other end of his property. He didn't fence in the entire yard. It was just a fence to separate his yard from Vinny's yard. The entire point being to make sure the kids weren't scrambling onto his property. As an adult, I now know it would be called a spite fence because that's what it was. He wasn't fencing in his yard. He was not doing anything except telling us kids, you're going to stay off my property. It didn't really affect our ability to play games. It was just one of those things that as a kid, you look at and you go, really? It really bothered us. So when Mischief Night rolled around that year, we thought it would be a great idea to toilet paper his fence. So each of us kids went into our parents' linen closets and got as many rolls of toilet paper out as we felt that we could get away with without really being called out on it. Because the conversation would have been, where's all the toilet paper? What toilet paper, Mom? We just used it up. I don't think we used six rolls of toilet paper in a week. So we couldn't take all of the toilet paper. We could only take some of it. 
but we loaded up as much as we could. So under cover of darkness, we went across the street. Vinny came out of his house. We had a couple of neighbors from further down the street. We all gathered up with our toilet paper, and we started the process of running toilet paper through the chain link fence. Now, unbeknownst to me, as I'm doing my section of the fence, one of the neighbors from down the street thought it would be a great idea to go ring Mr. Meany's doorbell and then run away. Because that's what kids do. So we're busy threading toilet paper through the fence. And all of a sudden we hear the ding dong. And then the hysterical laughter and the running footsteps. And the door opens. Now, the lights on the house didn't extend out to the fence. But if there's kids huddled around a fence, you're going to see them from the porch. So we heard the door open and all of us dropped flat and didn't move as Mr. Meany came out on his porch and looked around. And you could hear him cursing under his breath. He's going to kids. And he went back inside and slammed the door behind him. And we're a bunch of dopey little kids. And we go, <laughs> and we start threading the toilet paper through the chain link fence again. So the kid who rang the bell thought it would be a great idea to do it again. And so we're busily threading the toilet paper through the chain link fence. And we hear the ding dong and the hee 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 and the running away. And the door slams open again. You goddamn kids. It wasn't clear what Mr. Meany was saying, but it was clear that he was not in the best of moods having to go answer his door again. And once again, when the door slams open, we drop flat and don't move. And I could see the silhouette of Mr. Meany on his front porch, glaring out, looking for anything, looking for anyone to vent his anger on. And seeing nothing, he went back inside. We all breathed a sigh of relief. <sighs> okay, back to threading the toilet paper. We're working fast now because we don't know if he's spying out the kitchen window. We don't know if he's lurking by the front door. So we want to get this job done. So we're working really quick now. I've got the end of the fence closest to the house. My buddy's in the middle. There's some other people up at the north end. And we're all threading frantically trying to get this done. I don't remember why the friend who rang the bell had a bag of stale donuts with him. But he did. How do I know this? Because he said, hey, why don't we throw these stale donuts at the house? I don't know why we would, but I didn't voice an objection because I didn't think he was actually going to do it. I was busy threading toilet paper through the chain link fence trying to get my job done so we could get the hell out of there before Mr. Meany came storming out one more time. But lo and behold, the rocket scientist who was with us and one of his buddies pulled out a couple of stale donuts and whipped them at the house. They were deadly accurate. They hit the metal screen door square on. Pekang! Pekang! The sounds of the donuts hitting that door rang out like gunshots in the night. We all froze and dropped in our spots because we knew what was coming. The door burst open. Mr. Meany came storming out of the house, came off of the porch, went right for the fence and started stalking up and down the fence. Now I'm lying there. I'm in a little gully at the south end of the fence, which is closest to the road and closest to my house. But I know that if I move, he's going to see me. Thank God he's going up to the north end of the fence. And I glance up and I see dark shadows take off across Vinny's yard into the field north of Vinny's house. 
and I see him give a few half-hearted running steps in their direction. You goddamn kids! And I keep my head down, and I'm lying there, and I can feel the sweat beating on my head, and I'm starting to shiver because I don't know what the hell is going to happen. I don't know what this guy is going to do. We call him Mr. Meanie for a reason. And he starts stalking up and down the fence, and he's getting closer and closer to me, and I know that he's going to find me if he keeps coming in this direction, and I'm just panting a little bit, and I'm starting to spaz out just a tiny bit because I don't know what he's going to do. My 12-year-old mind is going crazy. I'm going to die here. And he's getting closer, and he's getting closer, and he back and forth, back and forth, up and down the fence, up and down the fence, expanding his search radius a little bit more every five steps. And he's getting closer, and he's getting closer. And as he gets about five feet from me and looks away, I take this opportunity to run like hell. You goddamn kid, if I catch you, I'm going to cut your balls off. That's what's behind me as I sprint for my house. Oh my God, I'm in mortal terror. And I hear his footsteps behind me as I'm running across the street. And I don't know if he's going to be able to catch me or not. And I don't know if he's going to cut my balls off or not. Now, fortunately, I know the woods around my house really, really well. So instead of running for my driveway, I cut right for the woods and one of those little pathways that I cut there when I was mowing the lawn so that I could hide in the woods quickly. That's what I made a beeline for. I headed right for that path, right through the woods. I go crashing up that path, crashing through the woods. I wasn't subtle about it. I was running to save my life and my balls. I didn't look back. I didn't stop moving. I kept running. I ran through the woods, up around the side of the house. I ran to the back of the house. I ran all the way around my house, and I went to the back side door. I didn't even want to go to the front door because I didn't want him to know that it was me. Now, I don't know if he was still following me, but I believed he was. So I hustle through the woods, and I drop to my knees as I get to the back door, and I stop moving. I listen. I don't hear anything, but I don't know. Maybe he's lurking somewhere. So on my hands and knees, I finish crawling through the woods to the backside door where my parents are in the family room. There's a sliding glass door there, and I gently tap on the door. Just a little tap. And I see my dad in there, and he gets up from his chair. One of the rare times that he did. And he has this look on his face like, what the hell is wrong with my kid on all fours outside the family room? And my mom stood up and she said, you look pale. What's wrong? Are you okay? And I dive into the family room. Shut the door. Shut the door. I'm fine. What's wrong? Are you all right? What's wrong? Did you get in trouble? No, no. I'm fine. I'm fine. And I collapsed on the family room floor. Safe in the warm embrace of my parents' quizzical looks. But I was there, alive, and with my balls intact. That's pretty much why I stopped going out for Mischief Night. One close encounter where my balls are in jeopardy, that's pretty much all I need to get me to stop doing an activity. Now, when I had kids, my kids also wanted to go through the ritual of going out for Mischief Night. And I gave them permission to go do it. Just don't get in trouble, kids. And make sure you protect your balls. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thank you for letting me share my memories with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for all the support. I really do appreciate it. You guys take the time to listen to it, and it means the world to me. So I will keep putting these stories out there as long as you keep listening. I really do enjoy sharing them with you, and I'm glad you enjoy listening. Until next time, you take care of yourselves.
and I'll see you when I see you.